Thank you, everyone. Thank you for, for clapping. Uh, Donella and myself, we haven't done anything yet, but thank you very much. So welcome, and also welcome the people at home. Um, uh, you may be in your slippers and pajamas, but welcome anyway. And also, it's good to have a couple of delegates to the Paleo Council here as well. So excellent. So that's really, uh, uh, w I think we both feel very supportive of that. Um, I'll just do a, a little uh, aims of the presentation. Uh, for those of you who need to know what's going to happen before it happens, um, they're on the slide there. Um, so um, the paper we're looking at is in, uh, this one here on the website. So it'd be good to uh, first maybe just touch base with what inclusive participatory and synodal means from the church's mind. We may have a different view, but this is from what the church is, is thinking at the moment. And then we'll listen to some stories around um, inclusivity or inclusive participatory and synodal from a cultural diversity perspective. So it's quite a focused session because IPS, if I can use that phrase, we can come at it from uh, many different groups. But for this session, it'll be from a cultural diversity perspective. And then we'll have a look at uh, maybe an opportunity to see what uh, IPS uh, looks like from a cultural diversity perspective uh, at, at the parish level. And I've got a few questions on the slides. Uh, and I've also got, we've got some of the answers to those questions on the slides as well. So it's more of a takeaway thing for you <coughs> and for us uh, to, to, to go and think about. Um, how are we going to do the presentation? Just very quick, we will have a, a prayer. Uh, then we'll have a look at the definitions of IPS, as I said, from the document itself. So that's from, from there. Uh, listen to a couple of stories and examples. Uh, importantly, it might be useful then to look at um, the proposals from Plenary Council as to what inclusion, participation and synodality uh, will look like from the cultural diverse um, perspective of uh, ATSI Catholics and uh, Catholic migrant communities. So if you're looking for answers to how we go forward as church uh, to becoming a more IPS church, if I can use that phrase, they're here in the priorities and proposals already. So the challenge is not so much what do we do, it's how are we going to do what we're going to do. Because what we're going to do is sort of uh, is mapped out here, but as with everything, you know, it's how you're going to do it. And importantly for the church, okay, when we know how we're going to do it, how well can we do it? Because when something's done well, um, people notice it. it. It has a special flavor to it. You can just do something, anything. But when you do something well, that seems to change everything. People notice it. It gets into our spirit. So we'll have a look at that as well. Let's be serious for a moment. We need encounter and dialogue around this whole issue of inclusivity, participation, synodality. So if we've got time, we might have a look at some of the barriers to that. There are only barriers in so much as we haven't decided to take them down yet or climb over them. They're not um, things which, they're not non-negotiables, which we can't do anything about. So that's probably where the serious conversations uh, at Plenary Council level will take place around those barriers and how we dismantle them if they need to be dismantled in a Catholic way, in a way that builds community, in a way that um, promotes our faith development. 
uh, there's always a reason for, for the things that are done. Okay, we'll start with a, a prayer. You might know this one. I expect uh, at least a couple of you should know this but off by heart. <laughs> so um, this prayer leads into a listening uh, reflection um, from a minority group who, who, are, who are part of this journey with us as well. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You may say this prayer out loud, or just listen to the prayer being said in the silence of your heart. So you're invited to uh, listen uh, or talk. It's up to you, really. Just pause for a moment. Come, Holy Spirit of Pentecost. Come, Holy Spirit of the great Southland. O oh God, bless and unite all your people in Australia and guide us on the pilgrim way of the plenary council. Give us the grace to see your face in one another and to recognize Jesus, our companion on the road. Give us the courage to tell our stories and to speak boldly of your truth. Give us ears to listen humbly to each other and a discerning heart to hear what you are saying. Lead your church into a hope-filled future that we may live the joy of the gospel. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, bread for the journey from age to age. Amen. Pray for us. Pray for us. Plenary Council is really about listening um, as we've been told, and uh, we know that sometimes when we're quiet, the answer that we're looking for comes to us usually from a most unexpected source. And um, I know in, in the Western culture that I'm deeply embedded in, listening in silence is really not taught to us. Um, so we go to um, the culture of the First Nations for some wisdom in this, and we have a, I think it's a three or four minute video. Yeah, thanks so much. To know me is to breathe with me. To breathe with me is to listen deeply. To listen deeply is to connect. It's a sound, the sound of deep calling to deep. the deep inner spring inside us. We call on it and it calls on us. We are river people. We cannot hurry the river. We need to move with the current and understand its ways. We wait for the rain to fill our rivers and water our thirsty earth. We watch our bush foods and wait for them to open before we gather them. 
We wait for our young people as they grow. The time for rebirth is now. If our culture is alive and strong and respected, it will grow. It will not die and our spirit will not die. I believe that the spirit of Dadidi that we have to offer will blossom and grow. Not just within ourselves, but in our whole nation. So, um, yeah, just a takeaway from that is, you know, how well do you listen to your loved ones in your households and to each other? And isn't it hard? And how well do we listen to ourselves? And if we're able to do that, then we'll be much better equipped to listen to the, the quiet spirit, which may be saying to us, no, just wait. Let's go this way, not that. Um, but we need to do that as a community. And that's hard. We need to get everyone on the same page. And, and that's really the per one of the purposes of the Plenary Council. And the Council is saying maybe two things around this theme of IPS. It's saying that a Christ-centered church is inclusive, participatory, and synodal. And this is the real good news. It's also saying that the Catholic Church in Australia has the means, the ability, the capacity to be this kind of church. And the theme is the roadmap because if we didn't have the means or the capacity or the ability to do this, I don't think it would have emerged from the faithful from the first, uh, first input, um, the listening, and, listening and, dialogue. and dialogue. It wouldn't have come to us. God is not going to give us something to do which he knows we cannot do, we're not ready for, we don't have the capacity for. But in this instance, God is saying to us, you do. And the means are there. We've just got to find them and uh, grow with them. So. That's the good news. We are going to be a church which is inclusive. It's going to be a participatory church more than we ever knew before. And it's going to be a church which is synodal. The Plenary Council is already showing us these things. These, this theme, along with the other five, have already been discerned, if you like. When the council meets, it's not going to take these themes away. Okay, so it's not going to say, oh, sorry, we've had our two meetings. And uh, no, we're going to remove IPS. That's not, no, no, no. Council is already saying to us, this is the way forward. How we do it, well, that's a different, a, a different um, topic. So that's good news. So, um, you know, you can tell people that, yeah, we're heading towards what does an inclusive participatory synodal church look like in the Catholic community. We've got some good ideas of what it looks like in the secular world, but what does it look like in the Catholic community? So very uh, quickly, we'll go through some of the definitions from the, uh, from the document here, okay? So, um, should I read that aloud or, yeah? You're not tired of my voice, Donella? Do you want to read? Okay. Speaking to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, John Paul II said, the church herself in Australia will not be fully the church that Jesus wants her to be until you have made your contribution to her life and until that contribution has been joyfully received by others. So that's from the... Uh, Page seven. <clears throat> we can talk about that, but
but I'll just finish with this point here. Just be careful. Inclusion doesn't mean, according to the Plenary Council, embracing ideologies, or any ideology, but rather listening to persons of difference and their stories, and then responding that call to self-examination and conversion in the light of the gospel. Truth that is conveyed by such stories. So it's in listening to other people, to others, that uh, we move forward. Why haven't the First Nations people been included or contributed or their contribution being joyfully received by others. Is that what John Paul II is saying? I'll leave that to you. But perhaps we'll take a story now. Um, just a short story from real life, from the present, and that's a story of Marie, Dorothy, and, and Ida, and Donella's coming. Okay. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'll pick that up. Just before the story of these three ladies, um, just a bit of a backstory. So that statement from John Paul II was in 1986, and that would have been, I'd been in Perth two years, and two out of, no, in the, that from 1984 when I came, I went to a parish, and basically, and I told Marco this a while ago, that I must have sat in that parish and nobody welcomed. So it would have been up to five years that I would, be, would have been going to Mass. And I used to question why I was going. And I could have walked. But in my mind, I thought, I am coming here to listen to the Word and to see what that Word is telling me for the week and what I should be doing as, as an Aboriginal Catholic. And we discussed this, Greg and I. You know, should we go on that? But I think you need to know that background because for me, it probably gave me the background for the role that I'm in now as the Aboriginal Catholic Ministry Director. Because now I'm directing that, you know, our church community. And now I know what it looks like when you're not invited in and when you're not welcomed. So it means for me, because I know that, I, I now have to make sure that we're, we're a welcoming community. So these, these three ladies are actually not Aboriginal ladies. So it's almost a reverse of we're welcoming these ladies in. Ida has had a long association. She's an associate of the Dominicans. And because Sister Margaret comes and plays, and we've been blessed with her this year because of COVID, um, <coughs> Ida has, has connected herself to our church community. She's 93, I think. And she comes when sister can bring her or when a neighbour can bring her. And she comes because she likes being there. We have this community and community gathering after where she can tell us her stories, where she brings us lemons. Um, so, and that's her, her way of participating. And we've welcomed her into our community. Mari came probably at the beginning of this year or late last year. And when we saw her there, you know, just going and, and introducing ourselves, but as she, as she kept coming, we found out that she was in a parish that had recently changed, or in the 12, 12 months before, the priest had changed, and she found that things that she was used to was no longer evident. So she came and she, she'd come, and, and then when, we, when she started to stay with us for lunch, she said, you know, I like this, this um, church community because it's welcoming, but also because it's not a big community. Um, and that was satisfying her needs. And, and nobody said, but you're not Aboriginal. That's not the point. And then the last person is, <coughs> Ma is um, Dorothy. Now, Dorothy is a friend of Mari because there were those connections. So there's a, there's a lot of connectedness with that. So we have these three ladies come, come to our, our church community. 
But we've also had over the, there's been a Syrian lady that's come and the same thing she says, it is a welcoming community only because, you know, we know, because we're, we're that small community, we notice the new people and we make sure that when they come, some, some come, some, some don't, you know, it might be a one-off. It's because they haven't got up for the nine o'clock mass, so they come. Um, but no, you know, nobody distinguishes between difference. And I think that's the, that's the thing. Often we see difference rather than similarities or a community. And I, going back to that quote from John Paul II, when that used to, um, people used to quote that, and that's the main one that's been quoted, I used to, it used to disturb me a little bit because it seemed that the emphasis was still on the Aboriginal pe people making their contribution and not on the joyfully receive, being received. Um, and, it, and it can be done, and, and it's been done in some of the, you know, a lot of the communities up in the Kimberley area where uh, cultural inclusion, you know, the, the, the practices are there, the, the mass, mass um, celebrations include aspects of the Aboriginal culture. So, and it's being joyfully received. And I think that's the, that might be the, the key thing is we have to joyfully, joyfully receive each other into this church community to be inclusive. Um, and I think the main thing is that it's about relationships and it's about connections and, and, and not seeing, seeing difference. So there we go. <coughs> You want me to do that? Or you can do it? Okay, and you can add. So from what, from what you were saying, Donella, is, um, you know, it's um, welcoming difference is, is, is what we're talking about. It, it, if you know someone when you get to math, you know, a smile and handshake's just second nature, isn't it? But what about the newcomer who may look different, sound different? Welcoming is fine, but it's not a smile. I think what we were saying is it's not a smile and a handshake. Well, it is, sorry. <laughs> but it's more than that, and it's more than that because what, what the church is being asked to do is to welcome difference. Now that's a whole new ball game. You know, a handshake in some cultures is not what you do. It's not the go-to thing. So now we're in, in the whole area of um, awareness, cultural awareness, sensitivity to other people. So, you know, it's not a quick fix, but what it is, is if as church we get to know the human person in their cultural context, first of all, then the answers as to how to be welcoming and including will automatically uh, and generously start suggesting themselves. And you know, Greg, I think that it's about, often we say church, and, and that's really a cop-out to put the blame and to take us out of the equation. It's now saying to all of us, we are church, and we have a responsibility to be welcoming to each other rather than sitting back and hoping that somebody else will do it for us. And I think that's, that's one of the messages too, is that we are church and we have this responsibility if we want, um, want to be that mm. church that moves into the future with everybody together on the bus. Mm. Yeah, and, and you mentioned there about um, when you, uh, I don't know which parish it was, but you, you, you noticed <coughs> elements from your culture being incorporated into 
um, was it the liturgy or just into? This is up in the Kimberley. Yeah, mm. yeah cause, you know, when they have, a, they'd have the um, Pentecost. You'd see a lot of the remote communities, they would gather on one in, and mostly around the desert area, communities would go and they would celebrate Pentecost. Um, but even in now that the Mass, the Missa Terra Spiritus Sancto, um, which takes in the, that Kimberley region, a lot of that has been from Aboriginal people. It used to be the old Missa Kimberley, um, but just the celebrating and the singing in there is what the, the Aboriginal people, mainly from Bijidanga, they worked with Father McKelson to develop that mass and it's been further developed, so it's, it's from the Kimberley. But, you know, there you can, you can do the, use the symbols of Coolamans and using tap sticks and didgeridoo. Um, and we did that, we, we put elements of that in the mass that we had on the 25th of October um, to make it culturally inclusive, really, but also to raise awareness with non-Aboriginal community. Mm. So th there, there would be another thing for um, contemplation. The, this enculturated liturgies, liturgies which uh, speak in worship from the culture. Um, is that a bad thing? I'm, I'm not a liturgical expert. Um, I mean, it's great that you have a, you go to any mass almost anywhere in the world and it's the same, I understand that. And even the churches look the same too. But that might be something to explore in terms of inclusion and welcoming uh, because uh, I know if uh, any of you have traveled abroad to a, into a country which does not speak English um, if you've ever had that moment as I have where you're, you're trying to purchase something and you just haven't got the language to do it and then all of a sudden in this instance there's a person there and they just give you the word you needed, because they know English. It's a welcome relief, it really is. Um, and you know, there are tiny steps, like doing an acknowledgement of country. you're a First Nations person, you, you, turn, you rock up at a mass, sorry to use the informal language there, um, and you hear a welcome to country, it's like, oh, did, did, how did you know I was coming? <laughs> you know who I am, you know I'm here, you recognize me, you know, so, um, I don't think any of us fully realise, do we, how strong our culture is. We see the world through, and the liturgy as well, I suppose, through our cultural lens. <coughs> and we can't see out of it. And so um, that might be something worth exploring. Uh, I'll go, I'll just digress for a moment. You know that, that Black, Black Lives Matter movement that was occurring, is occurring, and all the issues in America. Well, for a moment there, uh, a lot of society, the blinkers of, I don't know what you would call it, ethnocentrism, prejudice, whatever, fell away for a moment. And some of the people who had the power to make decisions of how societies run suddenly realized that so many decisions were made on cultural assumptions which were rooted in excluding minority groups. And for the first time, they saw and felt and understood that experience. For some of them, I think the horror would have come home to them. They would have been really distraught. Is this what we've been doing as a culture? 
you know, a lot of it's not planned or intentional, is it? Because it comes from within us, from our cultural settings. So I'll leave you with those, those thoughts. Liturgies which speak to peoples through enculturation um, and welcoming is really about welcoming difference. Welcoming similarity is really not what this is about, is it? I think, well maybe, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Do we have a break or? No, okay. We're going to push on. Okay, uh, what's the difference between inclus inclusion and participation? If you can give me a well-rounded answer, you can go home. <laughs> so we'll have to just look at the shades of distinction there because uh, the council hasn't given us uh, two words and said, yeah, they're the same really. No, the council's given us two words for two separate concepts and understandings. They're together, yes, that's because they're interrelated and important, but they're both uh, important in their own right. So participation. Um, do you want to read it aloud? Uh, Don Alice is going to read it. To be allowed to participate fully in an existing communal structure is a form of neighbour love because it offer, offers opportunity for those on the periphery to participate at the centre of communal life. By reason of their baptism, lay Christians have the right to participate in the sacred liturgy. The, the second part there is a quote from page seven of the document, okay? Um, okay, neighbour love is radical love because it enables even as it animates and offers a multiplicity of ways to be involved or layers of participation, a sense that we are all in this together. Importantly, it's not limited or restricted to the baptised, i.e. it's not conditional. So it's an unconditional love. Again, that's from the, um, from, from the document there. So the council is saying participation in the life of the church is, um, you know, it's not just for the ordained, no, or religious. Um, it's it's for the lay faithful, the baptized, and then it goes a step further. Participation in the life of the church doesn't exclude those who are not baptised. That would be interesting at parish level. If you have a social, who are you going to invite? And if someone wants to invite a whole group of people who aren't Catholic, um, I wonder what the conversation might be. It depends, of course, but that's an interesting uh, point there. So being church and being parish is not just for us baptised people. <coughs> that would be too, that might be almost selfish in a way, if that makes sense. And there are layers of participation. I'm not sure what the council means by that, but I'm, I'm assuming it means if we go into the world of the sacraments that, you know, some people can access the sacraments. Uh, and perhaps those who aren't baptised uh, can't, because that's just the way it is. But that doesn't mean they're excluded from everything else. RCIA teaches us that, you know, people come to the church and the sacrament on a journey, uh, and, and, you know, they'll be in a church attending a Mass without receiving the sacraments for a while. So that's an interesting thought, you know. No, you've got to get the sacrament first, then you can be a Catholic. Well, yes, that there's a, well, baptised first and then. But you can flip it 
say, well, hang on. People can still participate in the life of the church as they continue a journey which might lead them to uh, the sacramental life. Does that make sense? Okay, very quickly, uh, the, that annoying question, what's the difference between inclusion and participation? And then I'll take a question. Inclusion and participation. It's the action, isn't it? I mean, you can include someone, but he's not participating in anything. Well, it's a silent presence. Well, they can be invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Which, is, which happens with, well, from my experience with Aboriginal people. So in that church, I was invisible. Yeah. I mean, you were participating, but you were not included. Mm. So you can, you, can, you can include a group of people at a gathering by inviting them. We're going to invite you. All of you come. You get to the gathering and then you find that um, everyone's got a role and a function. Everyone's busy doing things. A little group here, a little group there. They're all somehow contributing to the gathering. And for a moment there, you feel really alone. And you don't know what to do. You're not contributing. Well, you are. You're, you're there, I suppose. But that's not enough. You know. So what does that look like at parish level and in the liturgy, in the social and fellowship life of the church, in the faith formation life of the church, in the outreach and service part of the church? It probably means being very sensitive to other people who are there, mindful of the fact that as human beings, being there where it is, is sometimes not enough. As human beings, we, we do want opportunities to participate. And the best way to participate in something is to contribute, make a contribution. So that means and most people are polite enough to wait for an invitation to do that. So it means being invitational, really. Yeah. Now that's an issue because I know in, in, uh, from experience that when you have a gathering, everyone's been invited, okay, okay or everyone's been included because they've been invited, that at the gathering, People are doing their things or whatever it is. You know, I'm doing outreach. I'm the sacristan. Blah, blah, blah. Okay. Human beings get very um, possessive of their roles. I'm just being honest. Is that, is that all right? You know, okay, okay. Because we've got to have the honest dialogue here, don't we, as, as, a, as a council. So, and territorial. And you know, as human beings, we can get quite nasty when our identity is threatened. I'm the sacristan. What are you doing, doing that? Oh, I was just, just trying to help you get the credence. Take. No, 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 no. No, nobody's asked you. <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> it's my it's my job. So again, I think uh, part of participation is uh, equipping parishioners, really, all of us, with those skills to um, just be mindful of our own assumptions, our own insecurities. Part of a participatory church is a church which um, values um, integral human development. In other words, values how people develop to be the best they can be as human beings. And being possessive and territorial uh, is sort of insecure and, and sort of 
selfish in a way. It's very human. So how do you overcome that? You've got to make people feel secure. That their contribution is valued, whatever it is, and that if they want to share it with someone else, that that's okay too. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's another huge conversation there. Now, when you put the layer that um, Donella was talking about on top of that, which was welcoming difference, well, now you've got conflict. Because the person who's trying to help, I just wanted to help with the credence table, is a different culture, looks different, English isn't very good, and all of a sudden you're in a different realm here. I'm not saying it's prejudice or racism or any of those other words, but there's another layer there which can lead to conflict. And it's not just I'm the king of this castle syndrome, it's more than that. It's, you know, I'm the king of this castle and I'm actually better than you. <laughs> I'm exaggerating here to make the point and to make the session a bit memorable for you, but can you see a bit of truth in that? Yeah, I'm better than you, not just because I'm the sacristan and you're not, but also because of who I am in terms of my culture. So that's another conversation as well. And let's have them. Let's have them and not be uh, afraid to talk about these things. Because when we name them and talk about them, the fear goes to a certain extent and un we see underneath it all the commonality. And that, that is what's going to, to bring the church together. And I think we have a little story. Uh, I don't know if you want... Danelle, you want to go for it? Lisa's story? Lisa. Yeah. Lisa's story, but it's Lisa and Keith's story. So, for as long as I can remember, so over 10 years, we've had um, these two people, I would say they might be mid-40s to 50s, who come from the Nelson Disabilities Group. So the carer brings them to church. One is, both are non-verbal. One is in a wheelchair. And you can tell who the, when the carers are um, a bit more confident, so they'll wheel them down the front. Some will hide them down the back. Um, and if you haven't been there and you come into the church, because sometimes Keith can get agitated if he's not in the right mood. So when he starts rocking his wheelchair and that, you can see new people sort of look as if to, to say, you know, what am I going to do? But we've learned to live with that. We've learned to that they're part of our mass community. And, and I was thinking about that just then, that for all of those 10 years, we've probably focused on the disability, the fact that, you know, non-verbal, Lisa's got mannerisms, so she's up and down the, the, the pews. Keith can't do anything bar rock his wheelchair if he's not feeling um, comfortable. But this year we had this absolute God moment with Lisa because the carer had parked them down the back where the gifts were. And when it came time for the gifts to be brought up, one of our parishioners was down there and Lisa was obviously interested. So she invited Lisa to bring the gifts up with her. So there they were, and you could see this, you know, the tray being shared, walking down the aisle to the, to the front of the church. And the beam, you know, the smile across Lisa's face to say, you know, you're asking me to do this. And as she was coming back, the smile was there. And I was saying to Greg that we didn't have a camera. We didn't have a camera to capture that moment. Um, and it's really made me aware that we need to focus on the ability that person can walk down the aisle, that person can hold something, 
So why not invite her to bring the gifts up every now and then? And I think they are those moments that tell us that it isn't hard to ask people to participate. If, if that can be done with somebody that can't talk, then what, what can happen with people that have all the ability in the world? It tells us that we, we actually stop that. If we don't recognise that people have gifts and talents to share. So that was an absolute God moment for us. Um, and what Danella is saying, the, the, like the underlying thing that from that is, um, are, are we prepared as parishioners in the pew or leaders to make room for others, to accommodate them in such a way that they can participate? And sometimes that is difficult, particularly if it links into your sense of identity, as said before, or even power as well. Now, I'm in charge here. So, you know, it would be, it's a very gospel thing to make room for others. And I mean that in many senses of the word, and to be accommodating. Not to the extent that you end up, it turns negative, and you end up I don't know, destroying relationships by being over-accommodating. You know, there are uh, boundaries and everyone needs to be challenged sometimes gently on behaviours, even good people. But a default position, making room for others, well, that's, that's quite difficult and that would certainly, uh, in that as that example shows us small gestures speak volumes in the liturgy particularly and small gestures as you know outside of the liturgy in your homes and with the people that you share your lives with small gestures also speak volumes as well so participation is not a grand gesture it's a fundamental stance that you carry within you and it manifests itself in just very small, low-key gestures, really. You know, so, um, yeah, okay. We, we just go on to the last one, which is uh, synodality. Um, I've been rehearsing that word because I always find it difficult to pronounce. Yeah, <laughs> <very> <laughs> <well>. <laughs> um, I, I'm still not fully understanding what it means. Marco, you're you're a doctor of history and philosophy, aren't you? And you I've you still the, I've got the same problem. <laughs> yeah, but this is a good explanation. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> It's, um, well, they have synods of the bishops, so the bishops come together. Yeah. And um, I think it's, uh, uh, well, the thing I like, can I use the high, the, is it the red button? This is just to, for fun. Uh, oh, there it is. Can you see that? I, I, like, I like this here. Whoops co-responsibility, but, but within an agreed framework. So everyone's on the same page. The communication is there. Everyone knows what, what's in, what's out, what you can, what you can't do. It's very clear. There's no misunderstanding here. That's the first thing, because that means you've got a culture of communication and dialogue happening in your parish. Well, how many misunderstandings arise in the parish because people don't communicate properly with each other. The parish priest with the parish secretary, you know, the, I mean, the, 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 the choir with the, I mean, on it. So, 
first, before we get to synodality, let's start talking, no, sorry, let's start communicating with each other, clarifying what we mean and upskilling, you know, even little phrases we should hear like, so what you mean is blah, blah, blah. Sorry, are you saying blah, 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 you know? So, in other words, perhaps a very um, Francis of Assisi thing. Seek understanding first before you jump in and start judging and getting angry about people's whatever. You know, clarify what you think you've, you've been told or, or, or taught or, or whatever it is. Seek understanding first that's humility, you know. Sorry, Father, so what, what you say, you'd like me to blah, 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 is that right? Oh, okay. You're seeking understanding. You're not going in to start an argument, which sounds different. So, Father, what you're saying is you want me, you can see it on their face, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about genuine <laughs> communication. So, so the prerequisite for synodality is first, let's have a culture of communication happening. And that's difficult because it depends on people's mindsets and their interpersonal skills. If I have a mindset where basically anything I say is goes, you know, I just tell you what to do, then I'm not going to be fussed about the words I use. I'm not going to focus, hang on, have I made myself clear? And in a cultural diverse setting, if you're just using English, now you've got, now you've got problems. You know, not just with the language, but with the interaction itself, yeah. I think sometimes from, from an Aboriginal point of view, we have this process and it's called the circular conversations. And often the conversation will go around and around and then people go away. And it's probably that time of deep listening where things start to, to emerge. And then they come back and they talk about stuff. And in that, in that circular conversation, you often hear what isn't right and then you know what to do. And it's part of that deep listening that we started off with. Um, you actually got to listen, and then go away and think and contemplate. And if there are really big issues, it, it, it gets sorted out. But those, those big issues often clear away what's not important. And then, then you know, and it takes time. Like Miriam says, it's about time. And whether we should have started, when was it, 1938? Was that the last? Yeah. Maybe we should have started then, but we didn't. And that's history. So we've got to work out some kind of process where this listening becomes important to we, the church, so that we, we have this model of church that we want to, where everybody's, everybody is included and everyone is welcome, no matter what. But how we do it will be interesting. Well, you, you may have hit on something there because um, if, uh, if you look at analysis of different cultures and how they have meetings, business meetings, it's very different um, so we're, we're back in the issue of integral human development again. Um, so some cultures, if you're having a business meeting, uh, you, you don't talk about the task at hand first. You, you, you don't. You talk about family and you talk about each other and it could go on for a long time. The function of that, according to sociologists, for these uh, cultural communities, is to build understanding and trust and also to create a silent space for them to check you out and for you to check them out. 
Now, the way I've been trained, we don't, I don't do that. Or, you know, it's, you're in a business meeting or any meeting, for example, parish pastoral council meeting, okay? And if you've got people from different backgrounds there, that's completely ignored. It's, no, we're in Australia, this is what we do. So this is how we're going to have the meeting. This is all unsaid, unspoken, of course, because it's assumed this is how we do it, point one, point two, point, and we just get on with it. And, you know, you speak your mind, and that's it. But there are other ways of having a meeting. So we talked about maybe looking at the liturgy and enculturating it a little bit, maybe not, just saying that's a conversation. Well, how about the way we communicate as church with each other? Perhaps we need to bring in some knowledge and understanding of how different people communicate well. And the circle conversation is one. Anybody that's not of a different culture, it's all this linear, you know, step one, step two, step three. Whereas it's, you know, we go, you can go about it in a roundabout way and you get to the point. But for the, for the, um, non-Aboriginal people, we have to get there fast. And if we don't get there fast, then we're wasting time. And that the, the time in building those relationships isn't valued, maybe. That's just my personal opinion. But it's sort of, got to get there, got to get there. Hurry up. And, and this probably speaks to another uh, uh, key thing, uh, which is the ability to tolerate ambiguity. It's a key skill that the church, that perhaps the council can look at as well, I think, because it speaks to these things here. The ability to tolerate ambiguity is the fact that you don't have a, a yes-no answer. You want to get straight to the answer. You're sitting there at the council meeting. You want the answer and we're, t we're talking about fish and chips or something or this person's extended family and you just want an answer to the task. Frustrating but it's part of being human in a cross-cultural setting and the thing is I think what we're, the Western cultures are learning is that there's a lot of wisdom in other cultures that can be brought on board. We do it very, just speaking as a Westerner here, cultural appropriation, we don't have any qualms about appropriating food from other cultures. <laughs> I personally love curries. Well, why not extend that? Because that synodality clearly this co-responsibility is clearly a two-way street. You know, even when, when Greg and I were meeting, we'd <laughs> go then, I, we, I'd just do, enter into storytelling with Greg <laughs> and we'd go around about before we got, you know, we're coming up to the PowerPoint. But yeah. often, and I'd say, I'd, you know, even the reason I said, hmm, too yeah. many, too many slides, Greg. Oh, I've got so many. Yeah. So, and I was just, come on, we'll be doing this, this, this. And Donna said, Donna said to me, let me tell you a story. I was going, I've got a story another one. for that. <laughs> but you see, you pick, you pick things up in stories because they're so human and you relate to them immediately. And um, we've reserved that pleasure and privilege to movies, I think, in my, in maybe in my in Western culture. That's where, if you want story, that's where you go. And we're excluding it more and more from all areas of our life. We really are. There's no time even to tell stories over, the, over dinner. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think the listening is really about listening to story again. But mind you, when it came to Tuesday, afternoon I said, Greg, if you get the PowerPoint, um, can you send it? Because <laughs> yeah. I knew, knew that yesterday I had a staff retreat day, so I wouldn't have been in the office. 
So there was we, Yeah, we, yeah. we couldn't just tell stories the whole time. We needed something else. So it's, 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 it's co-responsibility. Hey, we've answered <laughs> our it? question as to what's in the Yeah. So um, that's something to take away. And um, if you want more on synodality, uh, there's some uh, great document there. This is short, by the way, but, and it's from Francis. Um, but the speech he gave here really just maps it all out, big picture stuff. But it, 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 it sort of dropped the penny for me in a way. Not because it was a short speech, but because he it was very clear. So that's there. Um, and if you want about co-responsibility, there's a document uh, from about the Australian church uh, there as well. Um, okay, uh, we're nearly done. Um, we won't have time for these stories now, keeping true to my cultural background. <laughs> Maybe we should have started with this. Um, but, you know, that would be interesting in your parish life. Okay, very quickly, question one, because we've got three minutes. Um, how can the parish include foster participation from and walk together with ATSI Catholics and Catholic migrant communities? Um, the answer is in the document under priorities and proposals. So there's your answers. That's what God's calling us to do. How we do it. Uh, let's tolerate that ambiguity of not knowing. Okay, but there you go. And really, it's not rocket science. But we're not doing it. Plenary Council uh, from the discernment. Uh, listening and dialogue stage. No. No. I agree with you. So it's a culture shift. It's a change in thinking. Slight change, I yeah. That's not from. How will it occur? Well, why don't we. Uh, it'll come to us. It always does. You know. The thing is, we've never asked before. We've never asked the church or the spirit how we're going to do this before. Yeah, we haven't, you know, we really haven't. Asked. Yeah. Well, no, no, that's fine. We'll um, we'll, we'll take keep that take that as a comment, and um, uh, it's you're you're speaking the mind of you know a lot of people. You know, it's not just you who would be thinking that. You've got the courage to say that, but there would be thousands who would agree with you. 
And that's the conversation we need to have. So you're right to bring it up. You really are. The bishops have asked the church, that's the lay faithful, how do we move forward? The lay faithful have said, why are you asking us? You're in charge. And the bishops have said, yes, we are in charge, but we are having a plenary council, which means we want input from you. And the lay faithful said, why? And the bishops have returned the reply and said, because the Holy Spirit resides in the baptised. And so the answer from the Spirit doesn't come just through the leaders all the time. Sure, the leaders have that task of doing it, but... So this is a superb opportunity, if you like, to tell the bishops. This is what we think. And the beautiful thing about our faith is if you've got the whole of the lay faithful on the same page saying the same thing, then that becomes the truth for the church. And I'll give you an example, shall I? The assumption. Is that a dogma? <laughs> It is now, yeah. So it was proclaimed, the assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary was proclaimed by the Pope in 1951. Is that right? Something like that, okay. But the Pope just didn't suddenly go, oh, I think I might pro proclaim a sort of dogma here. I've got nothing else to do. You know, that... that no. And it's not that the bishops have been talking, they just had a war. The bishops didn't get together. So the question is, where did that come from? That belief, that understanding that Mary was assumed into heaven. To cut, to cut it short, because we're over time, it came from the faithful. How did it come from the faithful? It came from the faithful over hundreds and hundreds of years. And when the time was right, a proclamation was made, yes, by the Pope, but on behalf of the Church. And in one sense, that proclamation was the Church's gift of hope to a world which, in 1951, was in ruins, you know, with the war. And the Church stepped forward and said, if you want a way forward, be like Mary, be humble, help each other. You know, so it was a gift. Anyway, we, we'll need to finish, but um, uh, I think that's it. Um, how can these proposals or ideas be implemented at the level of the church? I have a view, but it's only mine, so I'm not going to share it with you because this is a, uh, this is a, a more formal setting and um, we're out of time as well. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you.